0: hello everyone welcome to antibodies this is our 21st episode in the immunology 101 series a segment where we teach immunology joining me today is my wonderful co-host ash how are you doing ash
1: i'm doing great it's a nice rainy day here and i i'm really gonna uh uh have a good time i think talking about science with the rain uh pelting my window
0: That's great. You know, I would say I also love rain, but here around San Francisco, it's just always windy. And I have just lost all hopes of going outside and having a fun day. Uh, Just so windy. uh, But you know, what is exciting about today is that we're going to be discussing some B-cell stuff, the cells that you hate the most.
1: Yeah, so I've actually, I think I've reconsidered my stance on B-cells. I, okay,
0: what what changed?
1: Yeah, so I've been I've been uh reading up on them and how they produce, you know, all of our antibodies and like the complicated processes they go through to like protect us and I've I've been reconsidering it. I won't say I like them yet, but I've been reconsidering it.
0: I'm very glad you're giving them a chance.
1: Okay, so before we dive back into the B cell world though, uh can we Review what we discussed in the last episode.
0: Yes. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about the following things. B cells express B cell receptors with specific antigen uh, affinities. The recognition of their cognate antigen leads to the activation of B cells. Then, B cells are classified into two major populations, B1 and B2 cells, with B2 cells making the high affinity antibodies and forming memory cells. Then B-cells responses are classified into two major types, either they're T-dependent or T-cell independent. When the B-cell finds its cognate antigen, it gets activated and it internalizes the antigen, which is then presented on the major histocompatibility complex 2, also called MHC 2 which is present on the cell surface. And lastly, B cells are very mean cells because they can steal antigens from other <laughs> APCs by physical force or through enzymatic digestion. I'm pretty sure you wrote that part. I actually. did. <laughs> before before you changed your mind.
1: Before I changed my mind. I mean, that's still very mean, but they're doing it to protect us, mean. so...
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like taking stealing credit.
1: Exactly, yeah. We, we did actually last week, though, skip a really important pro- part of the process uh, that I think maybe we should go over now just really quickly.
0: Are you going to say antigen processing?
1: I am going to say antigen processing. Uh, okay. So, yeah, let's go
0: through it. I was thinking about the same thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so antigen processing occurs after the B cell sees and binds to the antigen. Uh, So this is all internal within the the B cell. So the antigen, BCR duo on the cell surface, it's taken up into the cell by endocytosis. And this complex exists in the cell inside of little blebs of cell membrane that are called endocytic vesicles.
0: Oh, that's a great name for vesicles made by endocytosis. Yeah, easy to remember.
1: Yeah, immunologists, uh, I guess this was a cell biologist. Uh, scientists are not great at, <laughs> at naming everything, but that one makes sense. <laughs> so these <Yeah>. endocytic <laughs> vesicles then fuse with other vesicles that contain a lot of like enzymes that degrade the vesicle contents, and this processes the antigen by chopping it up into small little pieces these pieces can then be loaded onto the MHC class two molecules for presentation to T helper cells. And this is a very uh, complicated process with a lot of different moving parts, uh, which we will talk about in a future episode, but that's just a general understanding for how B cells can uh, take up the antigen and then present it on their cell surface to T cells.
0: Right. And I'm glad that we are talking about this. Uh, We, ended the last episode before answering one of my questions though. How do the B cells know where to go inside the lymphoid follicle? Antigen processing and all that is great, but I want some answers because the B cell has now acquired the antigen and it's ready to find its soulmate or rather the T cell specific for the same antigen. But much like A human soulmate, I imagine a T-cell with such a specific receptor is going to be very rare and hard to encounter. So how does it work?
1: Yeah, so much of our understanding of B-cell movements comes from experiments in animal models that use this technique called intravital microscopy.
0: Okay, that name sounds complicated and a bit advanced. So please tell me, what does intravital microscopy entail?
1: You're right in that it's an advanced technique, but it's quite cool. It's a way for scientists to visualize what's happening in real time within a tissue. As an example, scientists have looked at lymph nodes within an anesthetized animal and tracked the movement of fluorescently marked T and B cells, as well as APCs, exactly where and when it happens. So if you have a few minutes to spare uh, from doom scrolling, I highly recommend watching some of these videos online, they're very exciting. Uh, We will link a few of these actually in the show notes.
0: Yes, we will.
1: In this form of microscopy, too, we can actually identify the different compartments within the lymph node. Uh, Remember, there's an outer portion called the cortex or B cell zone. And this has follicles and an even more concentrated zone of activated B cells called germinal centers.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about these germinal centers. What exactly happens inside these structures?
1: A lot happens in these germinal centers, but we'll actually have a whole episode about the events in the structures sometime in the future. For now, let's just say that they are so important in developing our immunity that certain viruses actively stop us from forming germinal centers. In our BuddySo20 with Dr. Shiv Palai, he goes into depth about the strategy of immune evasion deployed by the infamous SARS-CoV-2.
0: Okay, it's this germinal center sounds like a very important structure.
1: So then there's the paracortex or the T-cell zone, uh, which is also an important structure, which we'll also go to uh, go through in a later episode. But finally, there's also the medulla, which contains blood vessels, but fewer cells. And these cells are mostly macrophages, antibody secreting plasma cells, and there are some B- cells there as well.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop you and ask, where is this B cell trying to reach? Because this this whole structure of the lymph node sounds very complicated. And how does this B cell know where to go?
1: It's all about the chemokine receptors. Uh, and to preface this conversation, I'd like to add a reminder. Uh, that generally there are a few different classes of chemokines and their receptors based on their structure. The two most important to us today are CC motif chemokine ligands and receptors, and these are CCL and CCR proteins, and the other is CXC motif chemokine ligands, CXCL proteins, and their matching receptors, which are CXCR proteins. Also, ligands interact with multiple different receptors and vice versa, and it's this intricate network along with orchestrated expression patterns that coordinate an immune cell movement. But because of this, the numbers of the receptors and ligands don't always match up with each other, uh, so it makes it a little complicated.
0: So every CCL or CXCL followed by a number is going to be chemokine, And every protein which has a CCR and some number or CXCR and some number will be a receptor?
1: Exactly. They actually all had unique names a while ago. And some who've been in the field for a while will still call these chemokines and their receptors by the original names. But the new names simplify it. And so I think we're going to stick with those. But back to your question, where are these B cells going? Instead of a single destination, a B-cell makes multiple stops. The direction it takes depends on both the specific chemokine receptors expressed by the B-cells and the specific chemokines present in the lymph node. The B-cell changes its chemokine receptor expression based on its activation to sync its function with its location. Okay, Jatin, let's close our eyes and watch the movie of B-cell migration in our mind.
0: Oh, all right, I'm, I'm up for this.
1: Yeah, go. this is, this is going to help, I promise, okay? Stick with me. A B cell walks into the lymph node.
0: You mean through the high endothelial venules?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's holding in its hand.
0: You mean expressing on its surface?
1: The chemokine receptor CXCR5. The B cell holding the CXCR5 stops and sees... CXCL13, its favorite dessert, sitting on the kitchen counter, made by lymph node townspeople and put there just to draw little B cells in.
0: So, so CXCL13, a ligand for CXCR5, is made by lymph node resident stromal cells and located primary inside the lymphoid follicle.
1: Exactly. So naturally, the CXCR5 expressing B cell first migrates to the kitchen counter of the follicle. Once in the follicle, they interact with follicular dendritic cells or FDCs. Okay, I'm losing my metaphor, but they interact with the follicular dendritic cells.
0: Okay, I, that was pretty good. Is and I think it helped. You you're right. It it does help <laughs> a little bit too. Imagine CXCR5 and CXCR13, CXCL13 interacting. Uh, while we are on the topic of follicular dendritic cells, is there anything special about these cells?
1: So, this is a gripe I have with whoever named these cells. Calling these cells dendritic cells is confusing because although they are dendritic in their morphology, they're not actually dendritic cells. They're not hematopoietic. Uh, although, To make things confusing, they do present antigen.
0: Okay, that makes things a lot confusing.
1: (laughs) It does. (laughs) Uh, Navigating the follicular dendritic cell network, B cells receive survival signals and can hang out and do small chores to maintain a healthy immune system. Uh, I won't go into a lot of the specifics about these chores, but this easy-paced meandering of B cells stops if it meets an antigen that binds to their BCR. As a reminder, this antigen can either be presented by cells in the follicle or by soluble antigen that can flow into the follicle. Within an hour of encountering the antigen, the B cell upregulates the chemokine receptor EBI2, which stands for Epstein-Barr virus-induced G-coupled protein receptor 2. This <laughs> EBI2 res-
0: sounds better. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: It's a lot shorter. <laughs> That's
0: a huge name. Yeah.
1: This receptor responds to okay, are you ready? 7 alpha 25 yeah. dihydroxycholesterol, <laughs> which is expressed in the outer and intrafollicular regions.
0: Wait, seven alpha what? I did not I did not realize I'm sitting in an organic chemistry class today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and aren't those the CX c or cc molecules you mentioned earlier
1: so uh it it's 7 alpha 25 dihydroxycholesterol it's actually a steroid um and yeah ebi2 is similar to the cc and cxc chemokine receptors but it's in a different subfamily uh this is probably partially because it's only known ligand at this point is a steroid it's not a cc or cxc chemokine
0: but ebi2 okay so what we are mm -hmm, what we are saying is that apart from these traditionally known chemokine and their receptors there are other things that can do a similar that can have a similar function but they don't have structural similarity to these things
1: yeah there's a lot of diversity in in the coordination of cellular movements and immune cell movements in general um i think you know if It can't be one-size-fits-all or there's not going to be enough diversity to fit all the different immune responses you need. Yeah. EBI-2 is different and complicated, uh, but it is important. Much of the EBI-2 upregulation, because of it, the B cell will migrate out of the follicle within one to three hours of the antigen encounter. Following this, several, several hours, say around six hours or so, Following the antigen encounter, B-cells will upregulate the chemokine receptor CCR7, and CCR7 will bind to the chemokines CCL19 and CCL21. Okay,
0: first thing, I hate that these numbers don't match up. I know. How CXCR5's ligand is CXCL13, not CXCL5. And in this case, the receptor CCR7 has its ligands CCL19 and 21 Instead of CCL7, it just it's, makes things so complicated.
1: It's wild, yeah. I think I think it starts off being okay. Like I think CXCR2 and CXCL2 bind, but yeah, then as yeah, you right. get farther and farther away, it gets more and more complicated.
0: And then you have these chemokines that are promiscuous; they'll bind to whatever receptors, and that makes also things complicated.
1: Yes, anyway, yes. Coming
0: back, <laughs> CCR7 and CCL19 and 21. Aren't they also responsible for naive and central memory T-cell migration into the lymph nodes? Because I remember we have talked about this in a T-cell episode in the past.
1: Yes, because they're all going to the same place. So CCL-19 and CCL-21 are produced by the stromal cells in the T-cell zone, which explains how naive and central memory T-cells find their way to it. Similarly, the B-cells, which now express CCR7, find their way to the T-cell zone. By now, the B cell has processed its antigen and is ready to present it to T cells.
0: Hang on, hang on. Um, there's a lot of information here. Uh, let me quickly recap to see if I have got this right. Okay. The the B cells, the first stop, their first stop is the follicle, and to get here, the B cell expresses CXCR5. Which binds to the CXCl13 that is expressed by some cells in the follicles. After it encounters the B cell receptor specific antigen somewhere in the follicle, the next stop is the interfollicular region. To get here, the B cell upregulates EBI2, which binds to this, oh my god, what's this name? 7 alpha 25 <laughs> dihydroxycholesterol, which is expressed in the outer and interfollicular regions. Once it has done that, now the third stop of the B cell is the T cell zone. And to get here, the B cell expresses CCR7, just like the T cells, because the T cells are also getting to this position. So in a way, this is just an orchestra of going from place A to B, from B to C, and to get these directions, these chemokines and other chemotactic molecules are going to help the cell, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And... and. That's why it seems to me so much like a movie. It's because it has like a it has a mm-hmm. script to follow, right? And it's a very classical, yeah. understanding, understandable, like pattern of of movement.
0: <laughs> and if you want to anthropomorphize this a little bit, you could say that these are cells that don't have the right maps, and every location provides the right map for to go to the next location. And certain activities, like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Some side quest over there. Side quest. (laughs) And then they proceed to the next one. (laughs) Or for them, it's probably their main quest. (laughs) Okay, coming back to the immune system. uh, How long do T and B cells hold on to each other in this T cell zone? And do they ever let go? And if they do, what happens next?
1: So the T and B cell interactions can be short, say a few moments or longer, uh, but it can last up to several hours too. Uh, After a few days, some activated B cells will downregulate CCR7 and EBI2 and will be redirected to the B cell follicles where they can start the germinal center formation. So these will be the cells that undergo class switching and affinity maturation uh, that make them a lot more effective. But again, we're going to talk about that in a later episode, so don't worry too much about that now. Just know that they go to the germinal center and they become a lot more effective. Other activated B cells will retain EBI2 expression, but will reduce CXCR5 and upregulate a new chemokine receptor, CXCR4. This allows them to move to the <laughs> lymph node medullary cords where they proliferate and differentiate into plasma blasts. And these plasma blasts are early antibody secreting effector cells that have not class switched. And so they're not super specific or super uh, potent, but they're like the first response. And so so they're pretty good. Like they're, they're pretty important. Um, some activated B cells can also become memory B cells, and these also have not class switched. Uh, but can be protective later on. These are called germinal center independent memory B cells. So there are all kinds of paths that a B cell can take.
0: Okay, Ash, just one last question from you about the decisions that B cells take. Uh, Can you answer uh, how does the B cell decide which path to take? And I mean either become a plasma blast, plasma cell, or memory cell, all of that?
1: So that's a tricky question. Um, From my understanding, we don't yet have a definitive answer. One current hypothesis from the field is that there's a bias with with regard to the BCR affinity to the antigen. So higher affinity B cell clones that bind the antigen better are often more represented within the plasma cell population. And lower affinity B-cell clones are more often represented in memory and germinal center B-cell populations. Um, What I don't know that much about is how the B-cells molecularly decide what, like the molecular underpinnings between the differentiation of the B-cell to these different uh, fates.
0: So I may not know anything about B cells, but I know about the molecular underpinnings of these B cells. So That's So let good. me tell yeah. you something about that. Please. <laughs> Do you remember the transcription factors and how they helped in case of T cells determine those fates such as T helper 1, T helper 2, and T helper 17 cells? We discussed all that in episode 18. Yeah. And this time it's the transcription factors for B cell fate, just different ones. So yeah, there are again a lot of transcription factors gonna be involved in this kind of fate selection. Let's talk about a few key ones for now. So we'll have we'll talk about these four important transcription factors. So buckle up because there is some molecular names that don't make any sense, but that's get used to it if you're in this field. Now.
1: Immunology <laughs> man.
0: <laughs> the, the the first is BCL six and it stands for B cell lymphoma six which is so important for germinal center B cells uh, that in animals that do not have a functional BCL6, they also don't have germinal centers. And if you remember what Ash mentioned, that germinal centers are very much important for immunity and a lot of viruses try to block germinal center formation so that they can evade the immune system. Anyway, so that should tell you how important BCL6 is. In fact, BCL-6 is not only important for germinal center B cells, but they're also it is also important for a lineage-defining transcription factor for this kind of helper T cell called the follicular helper T cells. Without BCL-6, activated B cells cannot undergo through another very important process called somatic hypermutation, which mm-hmm. we'll again go through in a next episode probably.
1: Somatic hypermutation sounds like something out of an X-Men movie. I can't wait to talk about it.
0: It, it, Now that you say that, if the immune cells were in an X-Men movie, the superpower of B-cells would be somatic hypermutation. Okay, let's just describe it right now. Why wait for the next episode? This is a programmed programmed process of mutation through which a B-cell optimizes the response to new antigens by trial and error. And when I say trial and error, it's just mutating some regions of its BCR, hoping that some of these mutations will give rise to a very good binder or very high affinity antigen binding receptor. So this is a beautiful and intricate process, but I guess we will be touching upon it again when we talk about germinal centers, because that's where this process happens in.
1: I'm so excited. That that sounds really, really cool, and I don't know that much about it.
0: Okay. Now that we have talked about BCL-6, we will go for the next one. The second transcription factor we're going to talk about is PAX-5, spelled as P-A-X-5. The name stands for Paired Box Protein-5. PAX-5 also works together with BCL-6 in generating germinal center B cells. So, yeah, think of it's like a brother to the BCL-6 uh, that helps in formation of germinal center B cells. The third transcription factor that we are talking about is BLIMP-1. It's spelled as B-L-I-M-P-1. And it stands for B-lymphocyte-induced maturation protein 1. We can consider this an opponent or antagonist, not exactly an antagonist like a pharmacological antagonist, but functionally it does the opposite of what BCL-6 and PAX-5 does.
1: So it might do the opposite, but it also uh, makes the most sense, I think, out of all of those names. B-lymphocyte-induced maturation protein, like that. Kinda what it does, (laughs) I think it makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) induce maturation. Anyway, so yeah, Blimp1 opposes the transcriptional changes that are brought about by BCL6 and PAX5. Let's say that if BCL6 and PAX5 want to go left, Blimp1 will want to go right. But apart from acting to just oppose BCL6 and PAX5, Blimp1 also supports the generation of antibody-secreting cells like plasma cells. And it makes sense, right? We ha- we talked about these unique fates: either go to the germinal center B cell, like stay as a germinal center B cell, or further differentiate into a plasma cell. And we have got this Blimp one that helps in the formation of plasma cell. So yeah, you can you can m- make a picture in your mind. Yeah, it's a anyway. movie. <laughs>
1: so,
0: yeah, just like <laughs> that movie. <laughs> All right. So we have talked about BCL six, Pax five, and Blimp one. Finally, we're gonna talk about IRF4, spelt as IRF4, <laughs> and it is called it stands for interferon regulatory factor 4, which is a fascinating one because its function depends on how much it is expressed. So high levels of IRF4 will support B cell differentiation into plasma cells, and low level will direct B cells to stay in the germinal center or take that germinal center fate.
1: Okay. So okay. BCL6, PAX5, BLIMP1, which is the opponent of BCL6 and PAX5, and then IRF4 are the four that we talked about. That
0: is that is correct.
1: So with the help of T cells, B cells can become many things such as plasma cells, memory cells or activated germinal cells. And these fates are specified by these different transcription factors. Now, I say we start talking about plasma cells because they're the real antibody producing factories of our bodies. And that's kind of what B cells are most known for. Uh, so do you have a coming of age story for them?
0: <laughs> yes, I do have a a story for the plasma cells and I'm going to be simplifying a lot. So what I'm sh- saying here, it happens, but it's not a complete story, but it's easy to understand the things in this way. Let's start with a naive B-cell. And as the name suggests, it does not secrete antibodies and it bears immunoglobulin M, IgM surface receptors. Once it's activated, that is when it meets the right antigen, it's going to differentiate into plasma cells. I mean, plasma blasts. These plasma blasts can be the precursors of plasma cells. And you could say that these plasma blasts are like the intermediate stage in the plasma cell story. These plasma blasts are somewhat differentiated and they can secrete antibodies, but they also continue to divide and they also have surface B cell receptors. Now, some plasma blasts may give rise to plasma cells. These plasma cells are completely differentiated. They do not divide, but they produce tons of antibodies.
1: All right, so the plasma blasts are uh, mediocre, but they can differentiate, at least a portion of them um, in this, in the simplified version, can differentiate into plasma cells, which are antibody-producing factories and a lot better at it. Um, it just occurred to me that when we see pictures of these two cells, like in, in books in my immunology class, thinking back years ago, uh, they had... I think more like endoplasmic reticulum compared to other cell types, Uh, I think it makes sense that these cells are producing and secreting like a lot of different proteins, uh, a lot of these different antibodies.
0: Yeah, exactly. Together, plasma plus and plasma cells are, they are also called antibody secreting cells or antibody forming cells. So the next time you find this term AFC in a research paper, you'll know exactly what kind of cells they're referring to. And of course, as you said Ash, that they do have a lot more endoplasmic reticulum to support that kind of antibody production. This journey from a naive B cell to a mature plasma cell is all about the coordinated ups and downs of gene expression. And they get by with some help from their friends. (laughs) <laughs> for example monocytes monocytes and dendritic cells in the lymph nodes they'll produce interleukin 6 and a proliferation inducing ligand called April a- April for short which is again a proliferation induced ligand okay that has made up right there's uh, no you that's come real up with April like you have <laughs> like you have to you have to know, I'm going to be calling this protein April. Now I have to work backwards to come <laughs> up with something that fits I
1: wonder if April. that was like the name of the person who found it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. April is a very cute name though. So <laughs> I, I, I like this ligand. Anyway. So yeah, there are dendritic cells and monocytes in the lymph nodes that are producing interleukin 6 and April. These cytokines in turn induce the anti-apoptotic molecules, BCL2 and BCLXL in B cells, which are needed for the formation of extra follicular antibody forming foci. So mm-hmm. if you want to remember anything about immune cells, always think about them being on the verge of going through apoptosis, and anything that prevent them from dying through apoptosis is gonna help them get activated or just survive, support their survival. So a lot of these activation programs, both in T cells and B cells, they will come with a set of anti-apoptotic genes so that this immune cell doesn't die, it kind of tells you that they're all always tending towards their death unless yeah. they get saved.
1: They're 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 always at the ver like the risk of dying. It seems like yeah right. They have to scrounge for survival factors and make sure they're right? protecting themselves. Also, extra follicular antibody forming foci sounds super suspicious. Does that mean the B cells? don't need to enter the B cell follicles to differentiate into plasma cells?
0: We tend to think that the antibody secretion and the switch from the IgM to IgG antibodies is always happening in the B cell follicles. But here we're talking about how our immune system has optimized an early primary response. So this is one of the first responses. That means for the first time the antigen has entered and this may not require these B cells to be entering into follicles.
1: Okay, so where, when, well, so when, where, how quickly do these foci form exactly? I'm not sure I understand.
0: It, it depends a bit on the antigen and where it is coming from, but these foci can be seen as early as three days post immunization in the spleen and lymph nodes. And uh, inside the foci, the B cells will switch from IgM to IgG in a few days and later, so the follicles are not needed here In uh, exactly.
1: Why do we need follicles in germinal centers at all? Why not have these primary foci instead? What, like, what, We haven't talked about germinal centers much, but what do they do? Like that's better. So
0: we, we have talked, the, what enough we have talked about germinal centers is there where the B cells get better at doing their job, right? Uh, and we also talked about this thing called somatic hypermutation which is a B cell superpower that which also happens in the germinal center and inside these primary foci that does not happen there is no somatic hypermutation okay. so so you can think about the primary foci is like they are prioritizing speed instead of quality so a quick response but not a quality response. And and that's why they're able to churn out these antibodies within a few days of infection. Compare that to the germinal centers, which are sacrificing speed in favor of good quality antibodies. So it's like you have these poorly made antibodies just blocking the intruders while the specialized forces inside the germinal centers can be can prepare for a long battle.
1: So these are can, done it at the same time. They can get time. the big guns out. Gotcha. Yeah, they're they're
0: yeah, they're they're happening simultaneously. It's just the timeline is different. The foci does its job sooner. The germal centers take their time, but they are prepared well. They're they're a lot better equipped to deal with the intruder.
1: Gotcha. Like foot soldiers and special agents.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can say that.
1: Um how likely then are these, these, if they're not optimized by the somatic hypermutation, how likely are they to bind the antigen? Like, are they any good at it?
0: Yeah, so, you know, this is the part where the IgM is very helpful. If we talk about how IgM differs from IgG, one clear distinction is that the IgM exists as a pentamer. So there are five IgMs that all uh, stick together and they form this kind of a, like a snowflake <laughs> kind of structure. Hmm. And because of this pentameric structure, each IgM, while it has less binding uh, affinity towards the targets, but there's five of those. So all of them play some part and they maximize the ability to capture the antigen. So. Yeah, if it's like you either get a very good buffed guy to beat up somebody, or you get five <laughs> smaller guys to beat up somebody. <laughs> they, they're they're not as effective as this one buffed guy, but they'll they'll, they'll hold get off the job done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit.
1: I feel like it's really hard to explain all these different concepts of B cells and like B cell maturation because they're all happening at the same time. They're all really coordinated, and like, how do you explain one without someone already knowing the other. It's it's very complicated. I feel like maybe we should wait until next time to go into the super detailed information about the germinal centers and, and maybe just keep all of that discussion in one episode. How does that sound?
0: I think that sounds great. Yeah, because what happens inside the germinal centers, it's it's complicated and it's very important. It's not the kind of detail that we would like to skip. It's all of that, all of that charade that happening inside is going to give rise to very high affinity antibodies. So it's important to take a a little deeper dive into that next time. So, Ash, uh, I guess for today's episode, we are stopping right before entering the germinal center, and I mean, when B cell <laughs> center is germinal center, we're gonna just <laughs> commentate on the things that are happening. Right. But what have we learned so far today?
1: Okay, so we talked about how chemokines can and chemokine receptors can help B cells navigate their way through the lymph nodes and meet antigen-specific T cells. We also found out that B cells have many fates that it can be different that it can differentiate into a plasma cell, a memory cell, or a germinal center B cell. The fate of the B cell depends on the expression of specific transcription factors. The four we talked about were BCL6, Pax5, the opponent Blimp1, and IRF4. We also talked about how, in an early primary response, primary immune response, plasma cells develop in primary foci, which are outside of the follicles, um, and how these plasma cells produce low affinity. Um, but large amounts of antibodies that are a lot quicker uh, than the germinal center response. And this complicate this complements the later, more optimized antibody response.
0: All right, that was great. You know, one thing that I would like to add is that a lot of these primary antibodies that have captured the antigen, so the primary antibodies, again, that are coming from the foci, uh, the primary foci that is developed um, within a few days not very high affinity but some of these antibodies they will of course capture the antigen and these these antibody antigen complexes will be picked up by the follicular dendritic cells so that is also a source of the antigen inside the germinal centers so the germinal centers the follicular dendritic cells will capture these complexes and this is becomes a source of the antigen itself so in, you can say that this primary response is not just there to hold off while the, the the germinal center responses are being developed. They actually also provide the antigen to the germinal center oh. by forming these complexes. Because the follicular dendritic cells, they are rich in complement receptors and FC receptors. So they can capture a lot of these... Comple- I mean, the for, for yeah, follicular dendritic cells, they can capture a lot of these complexes. Anyway, we will... We'll probably talk about that again when we go inside the germinal centers, but yeah, I think for that's today- that's a nice little primer. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point to wrap up the discussion. And thanks a lot, Ash, for this wonderful discussion today.
1: Yeah, I to, I've, I'm coming uh, around on the B cells.
0: <laughs> yes, and I'm ha- very happy you are able to reconcile your differences and you're able <laughs> to appreciate these cells for all the sacrifices they do for us. <laughs> For our audience, if you want to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.